1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.
2: I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the final book of the Old Testament. Whenever I'm turning there, I think of uh, a joke that was always used by one of the pastors who would be involved with a college ministry that I was part of when I was a student At Wheaton College, he was a very Italian man. And he said, turn with me to the Italian prophet, the prophet Malachi. We're going to take a look at the Italian prophet together today. (laughs) I can't ever turn there without thinking of that particular pastor. So we're going to look at Malachi. The uh, pronunciation we usually use for this is Malachi. I'm going to read for us Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? But I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Why is it that we should study the prophecies of Malachi? Well, let me give us three reasons as we begin. Reason number one that we should study the prophet Malachi is contained for us in verse one. Verse 1 of Malachi chapter 1 says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. This is an oracle of the Lord. In more wooden translations, this is rendered the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And it's more wooden because an oracle was referred to as a burden. The prophet who received it had the burden to give it to the people of Israel. But it also conveys the fact that the word of God is a weighty thing. It's a weighty thing. When we receive the word of the Lord, we receive something that we should give the proper gravitas to, the proper weight to, the proper attention to. When God speaks, his words have weight and glory. This is God's word, and we know that all of the scriptures are God's word, but sometimes we forget. This verse is for those of us who sometimes forget. Malachi 1 verse 1 reminds us that this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a message to each of us from the mouth of God. Thanks be to God. This is a message through a messenger of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the interesting things about the book of Malachi is that the prophet, whose either name or title is Malachi, this word, Malachi, means a messenger of the Lord, a messenger of Yahweh. And so there's some disagreement. Perhaps this was somebody that was given that name, a messenger of the Lord. Maybe this is a title. In either case, chapter one, verse one, and the title or name of this prophet helps us to sit up and take notice. What we're about to hear is an oracle from the Lord God. The very words of God given to us from a messenger of God. We should sit up and take notice. What is God saying? What is God seeking to communicate? What has God said? We should pay attention because this is an oracle of the word of the Lord to the people of God from the messenger of God. Reason number two that we should study Malachi is that this is a profoundly relevant book of the Bible, but one that is maybe not as well known. My guess is that if you're like the normal Christian, you know the minor prophets, of which Malachi is one, you know the minor prophets likely less than most other sections of the Bible. Christians very often will know a fair bit about the epistles, the letters, oftentimes from Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that are given to the people of God. We're very familiar with the Gospels and the stories of the Lord God, the true stories that are contained within them. We know a fair bit about the history of Israel. A lot of times we know the Psalms pretty well. But the prophets are oftentimes one of these blind spots in our knowledge about God and his ways. But one of the things that we find as we dig into Malachi, as well as the other minor prophets, is that they are profoundly relevant. Take a look with me if your Bibles are still open. If they're not, feel free to open them up along with me again because I just want to walk through along with you about some of the things that we should be expecting as we take a look at this this prophecy. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, we're told the Lord speaks to the religious leaders who are offering inappropriate sacrifices and giving false teaching or false instruction to the people of God. Here's a sad reality. False teaching and false living on the part of religious leaders exists not simply in the time of this people of God, but it exists today, and it's deadly. And we need to hear the Lord rebuke such falsehood in our leaders. If you take a look at the next section, Malachi chapter 2, the first section is Malachi 1, 6 through 2, 9. The next section is Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. In Malachi 2, 10 through 16, we see that the people of God were being unfaithful to their marriage vows. They were breaking vows of covenant to the Lord God, and they were breaking their marriage vows. And here's a sad reality. Breaking marriage vows is not something that existed just at the time of Judah. It exists today. And we need to hear the Lord remind us to be faithful to the covenants that we've made, including marriage covenants. Malachi 2, verse 17 through 3, verse 5, tells us about the day of the Lord. The day that God will return to make all things new. Now there's a large measure of speculation about that day right now, just not just at the time of Judah, and so we need to hear what the Lord says about it, and we need to hear about the judgment that the Lord speaks of in that day against adulterers or liars or those who take advantage of those they employ or those who take advantage of the widow or the orphan or those who won't welcome the refugee or the foreigner. Malachi 3 verse 6 through 15 tells us about those who have not given to the Lord as they should They've been stingy. They've hoarded their wealth for themselves They've kept what they should have given to the Lord and here's a sad reality Some people do not give to the Lord what they should or what they ought today This was not simply a problem at the time of Malachi And we need to hear the call to give to God and the promises of God to those who give And the end of Malachi talks about the day of the Lord again and calls on us to repent. We need to hear this right now every bit as much as the people of Judah needed to hear the word of the Lord. So we should pay attention. Those are the first two reasons that we should study the book of Malachi. Here's the third. This book tells us about the love and faithfulness of our God. And you need to hear that God loves you. That God loves his people with an unending covenant love. He loves those that he has chosen with a love that doesn't diminish and is unconditional. It doesn't depend on how we act. It depends on God and on his sovereign choice. And that's what the passage that's in front of us is about today. The astounding and continuous love of God. This section, like many other sections of the book of Malachi, is a dialogue between the Lord God and his people, and there are four parts of the dialogue as we see them recorded for us in verses 2 through 5. We're told that God loves his people in verse 2a. We're told that the people don't believe it in verse 2b. We're told that God proves his love for his people in verse 2c through verse 4, and we see in verse 5 a way that God gives us to respond. Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. I have loved you, says the Lord. Prophet Malachi here begins in a unique way. God simply asserts his love for his people. I love you, God says. I have always loved you, God says to his people. This is unique in all the prophets. If your Bible is still open, page with me back through some of the prophets. Zechariah is the prophet that comes just before Malachi. And if you page back with me to page 943, you'll see the way that Zechariah begins. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Bechariah, son of Edo, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Page back again to the beginning of Haggai. That's just before Zechariah. Haggai begins in this way. In the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet, uh, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of, uh, of Sheolotai, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, The people say the time is not yet come to build the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you to offer yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Take a look at Zechariah, or sorry, Zephaniah that comes just before it. Zephaniah begins like this. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Geldiah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens. Very often, the prophets begin with a word of judgment. Malachi is unique because it begins with a declaration of love I have loved you. I have always loved you, he says. This was the word that this people needed to hear these many, many years ago, and this is the word that you need to hear from God today. I love you, declares the Lord. I have always loved you. This is a continual love. It's translated, I have loved you, and that's because the the word that's used here is one that implies continuation. God is not saying, I have loved you in the past. I don't right now. He's saying, there has never been a time where I have not loved you. I have always loved you, and I love you now.
1: Today's message on grounded and growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, Please visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com That's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: The one who created the earth and the sky, he loves you. The one who controls the universe, he loves you. The one whose power and might And glory are incomparable. He loves you. But the people don't believe it. And that's the second part of the dialogue. And that's our second point this morning. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? God says, I love you to the people of Judah. And their response is, how have you loved us? What that means is they respond by saying, I don't believe it. Or they respond by saying, prove it. They respond by saying, well, where where is this love that you're talking about? I've loved you, God says, and they say, well, how can that be true? God's people here doubt his love. And in one way, this is all so typical. The people of Israel and Judah were so often doubting the Lord or his plan or his ways. It was their way, as it is ours, no doubt, to doubt God's love. But in another way, can, can we really blame them? So there's a particular context that this prophecy is written in. The people of Judah at this point have relatively recently made their way back to Jerusalem after a long captivity in Babylon. The people of Judah were located in the land that the Lord had given to them. They had taken possession of it as is is recorded for us in the early books of the Bible. But after living there for a period of time, the Lord allowed them to be taken away from their land And brought into captivity in Babylon. There they dwelt for many, many years. And they had only recently returned when the prophet Malachi is doing his work. And when Persia overtook Babylon, the people of Judah were allowed to go back and rebuild their temple and rebuild their walls. But one of the things that's recorded in Ezra is that as the foundations of this new temple were laid and a shout went up from most of the people, those who had seen those elderly priests and elderly members of the the people there who had seen the first temple that had been built by Solomon and was glorious, those who had seen the original temple, when the shout of praise went up, these people wept. This new temple was not nearly as glorious as the one that Solomon had built. And so there was sadness in the midst of rejoicing. There was weeping in the midst of celebration. Because Judah and Jerusalem was no longer as glorious as they had been. It may have seemed to the people of Judah that the Lord had forgotten. How have you loved us, they're saying? By allowing us to be defeated? By allowing us to be captured and sent to Babylon? By taking us away from the land that you promised us, by the allowing the destruction of your temple, by diminishing our lands, how have you loved us? Today, I know that our temptation is to say exactly what Israel has. <coughs> how have you loved us? I've had this very conversation with some people who are in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, in the midst of sickness. God loves you, I tell them. And the response is, well, how could God love me if He allowed this to happen?" How could God love me and take him away, or to take her? How could God love me and allow this sickness or disease? How could God love me and still have me go through this? And you know, God is really such a gracious God. And one of the things that always amazes me is that some of this language is contained in the Psalms, inspired by God. Ways that we should and can and must approach him in prayer. Psalm 89, verses 49 through 51 say this. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Do you see what the psalm asks? Lord, where is your love? And so the the simple asking of this question is not necessarily a a question that, that reveals a lack of faith. It's one of the privileges that those who belong to the Lord can ask these hard questions. Lord, where is your love? You've said that you love me and it's hard to feel that. You've said that you love me, and it's hard to see that. Well, here God proves his love for his people. He answers their question. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? And for most of the rest of the passage, God gives proof of his love for his people. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob first, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. God proves his love for his people here by referring to the history of the people of Israel. God points to 1,400 years earlier when he chose Jacob and not Esau, despite the fact that Esau was the older brother and he determined while they were in the womb to allow Jacob and his descendants to be his people and to not allow Esau and his descendants to be a part of the covenant. God points to this promise that he had made 1,400 years earlier and says, you know that I love you because I chose you. The people of Edom, you see, these were the descendants of Esau, And the people of Israel, you see, these were the descendants of Jacob. And God is saying here, you know that I love you because I made a choice. I chose that Jacob and and Israel and all the descendants of of Jacob, I, I chose that these ones would be a part of my people, that these ones would become a part of my family. And I chose that the same would not be true of Esau and all the Edomites, his descendants. I made a choice many, many years ago, he says, that you would be mine, and this is how you know I love you. He calls back the mind of the people to what was located in Deuteronomy chapter seven. Let me read for you Deuteronomy seven, six to eleven. Because here God is reaffirming what's said here. Deuteronomy seven, six through eleven says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord, your God, is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who live, love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates them. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. God is saying here that they can know of his love because they know about his choice And in talking about choice in the way that he has chosen, God dispenses with many popular theologians here. And God edits our own understanding of love. Now you probably have heard of the work of well-known theologian Tina Turner. She defines love for us and she does it incorrectly. You probably know the song, right? What's What's love got to do? Got to do with it. What's love but a Secondhand emotion. Here's what Tina Turner says, is that love is just an emotion. Love is a feeling. She says, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken, right? Because love, for Tina Turner, is about feeling. It's about emotion. And here God is saying, no, no, no. Love, my love, it's not about emotion. The love that I have for you is a choice, God is saying to his people, I've determined that you're going to be mine and no one at any point in history can change all of that. And the proof, Israel, is that you are still here and that your brother, the Edomites, they're not. That's proof. I've decided that you are going to be my own and so you'll never pass away. I didn't have the same determination for Esau and his descendants and they're gone. And you know what's crazy? I think this is a really interesting fact. For a number of years, some people that were trying to undermine the authority of the scriptures would say, hey, there's no no archaeological record of the Edomites, and yet the Bible talks about them a lot. How can you believe the Bible when there's no even record of this people group that he talks about all the time? Now, just not all that many years back, there was archaeological evidence that emerged for this people called the Edomites, but the fact that they like ceased to exist and passed out of the knowledge of history for a number of years, I think is confirmatory of God's word, right? Because God says, all right, I love you, Israel. You're a part of my, you're a part of my covenant. That's why you continue. That's why you're still here. Edom is not a part of my covenant. That's why they are going to disappear. That's why they will not, they will not continue to be I didn't choose Esau or his descendants. I chose you. And you'll continue to be here because of my love. I don't know if you are sometimes tempted to doubt God's love. But whenever you are, for you, God can appeal to history as well. Because God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the people of Judah at this particular time, when they doubted God's love, he directed their attention back 1,400 years to the choosing of Jacob instead of Esau to prove his love. If you or I doubt his love, he directs our attention back 2,000 years to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, to his life lived for you, to his death for you, where he shed his blood for you, to his powerful resurrection from the grave, where he secured your justification. God has chosen you and loves you and proved it through Jesus. And nobody can change this. Through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were brought to be a part of the family of God. No one can change that fact. And the love that God has for you is not an emotional one. It's not one that depends on circumstances. It's not one that's conditioned on how you are behaving this or that particular day. It's not conditioned on your feelings because it's not about being a secondhand emotion. God will not love you one day and then cease to love you the next day. He will always love you and he has proven it through the death and resurrection of his son.